we can do this. Welcome to Go Additive, where your hosts combine their real-world professional 3D printing experience to deliver valuable opinions that will help you peer behind the curtain of the additive industry. And now, Go Engineer's own Tyler Reed and Tate Brown. <laughs> it's even harder the second time. <clears throat> All right. This is our second take. We started without our mics on. We're a little bit flustered. We got this. I told you specifically I didn't want to listen to it two times. And he's so mad about it. <laughs> Still looked like he was jamming over there, but, you know, two times is one time too many. Yeah, it's hard not to jam out to it. I like it. How... I was going to say this the first time. Mm -hmm. It's awkward now because I'm saying it again because mm -hmm. now my mic's on. But I feel bad for the people who they maybe listen to one of our latest episodes and they think, eh, this is worth another listen. Let me go back to the first episode <laughs> when we used to do boop, 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 you know, our I'm, own intro sounds. I do miss that. Actually, we should just the do The early days. <clears throat> Five weeks ago. That's probably something that uh, all podcast hosts have to deal with is the evolution of their show and uh, going back to the old episodes and wondering, what the heck were we doing? We can just wipe out history. We can just take off those first episodes. No one will even know. In fact, that's already happened. In some ways. There like are episodes just, that people don't know about. The unheard episodes. Are they available somewhere? Yes. On your laptop? Yes. <laughs> Where they shall remain forever. All right. Although we probably should go back and listen to them because we probably talked about some topics that we could revisit. At some point, we're going to be regurgitating topics, but hopefully on the second go round, yeah. we cover some other subset or we get it, we hit the <laughs> nail on the head. Or we're more in-depth or something. We know so, it's going to happen. Yeah. Somebody used that word earlier this week. Oh, yeah. Regurgitating. <laughs> and uh, I think it hurt both of our ears. They used it totally wrong. <laughs> and wouldn't you know who it was? <laughs> I can't say. He knows who he is. <laughs> and he's famous on this show. And... For anyone else that's listening, you may think of this person as several people when, in fact, it's just one person. <laughs> it's the Renaissance man. <laughs> he, he's everywhere. <laughs> um, so what we want to cover today is post-processing. Uh, this is an important topic, not only for your DIYer, you know, your, your hobby level system guy, but this is actually pretty important when it comes to the industrial applications as well. It's less automated though for now, uh, most of the time. So it tends to be something that the industrial world kind of just mm, sets aside or ignores. What do you think? Depends on your perspective. You know, some people really focus in on it and some people try to brush it under the rug. I think it's sort of the, uh, dirty secret in 3D printing that the actual <laughs> One, three, uh, another dirty secret yeah, yeah the actual 3D printing 
step, the printing step, is just the first of, in some cases, many steps to a final part. And, you know, we call it post-processing. And uh, I think that gives off the impression that it's uh, optional in many ways. Um, but that's not always the case. I think there's post-processing that is part of the process itself. It really is just like a subsequent process. And then there is post-processing, which is a, a process that happens after the part is made. It's, One, yeah, it's just words, I think. <laughs> just wordplay. And it's, it's dependent on the process, right? The 3D printing process is going to determine what's how optional a post-process might be. Yeah. But before we talk about that, oh. we have some YouTube stuff we want to talk about, right? Yeah. So let's start with, with, with mine. Because okay. <laughs> we ended the last episode with a, a question about, you know, when you tell somebody that you're in the 3D printing industry, do oh, you yeah. are you self-conscious about uh, their the image that, you know, they, that comes to mind, whoever's listening to that, you know, do they think that you're basically a toy maker, like Willy Wonka? And, uh, that would be a huge upgrade. <laughs> True. Who's a, who's a famous toy maker? I don't know. Mr. Hasbro. Gosh, you're weird. <laughs> uh, Tyco. Remember Tyco yeah. back in the day? Like the like RC, RC cars. cars? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you remember air hogs? Uh, I remember the name, but I can't picture it. So cool. It was like a <laughs> pneumatic engine uh -huh. and it was all clear, clear plastic. So you could see the inner workings of the engine. And then you just pumped the thing full of compressed air and let her rip. No steering, no anything, just this little car going down the road or airplane. Anyway, sorry. I remember the name Tycho. I mostly associate it with the astronomer. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, there's a YouTuber yeah. that uh, I think personifies this. You're in front of your laptop, right? Can you yeah. look this up? Yeah. I think his name. I think the channel name is James Burton. And Any I can relation to Tim Burton. Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. You're kidding. He's his son. No, he's not. This guy's <laughs> like a hundred years old. Born. I Dude, Tim Burton's 200 years old. All right, let's look at him. Okay, James Burton. Is it 3D printing or is it, do I have the name wrong? This, no, you've got the name <laughs> wrong. I'm getting other stuff. I'm getting Ford okay. versus Ferrari okay. things. Search and... uh, DIY 3D printed robot dog. <laughs> you know the you know the robot dog that uh, Boston Dynamics created yes this guy's been uh working on a 3d printed version and it's unbelievable to be honest hingston's is his name no Hingston? it's something burton you're sure yeah i'm gonna throw that in there into the google search okay uh good boy on instructables go to youtube james burton's youtube channel yeah so i'm right Ah, different James Burton. Okay, got him. Okay, so just even looking at the thumbnails, you get the impression with all of the different colors and whatnot, oh, this yeah. guy's a toy maker. But there's actual real 
engineering actually look legitimate. His work is amazing, but I can't get past the aesthetics of it. Yeah, his channel, if you were just to scroll through the thumbnails, you're right. He uses bright colors, and it does kind of, I don't want to say cheapen the look. It probably does, it does cheapen the look. He's probably doing way cooler things than he makes it appear. His work is amazing with the robotics and the controls and... It's James Bruton, by the way. Oh, is it Bruton? Yeah, so if anybody wants to look this up, James Bruton. Got it. And he's almost got a million subscribers. We're going to help him get a to a deal. million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can now be, uh, you'll be 55 listeners closer. Hey, we've got more than 55. In fact, you know, I'm not going to bring it up anymore. We have a great international audience, and the UK is actually kicking butt right now. <laughs> Thank you, the UK. Thank you. Everyone over there, across the pond. Hope you're enjoying your 3D printing. Anyway, about this James Bruton. Yeah. You think he's cheapening the look of 3D printing? I Well, that's a heavy statement. I'm not going to accuse him of that. That's what we're but, about on this show. Hot takes. Ooh, I know. That seems so dangerous. Bring it in piping hot. <laughs> I, when I don't associate with that look. I want to be associated with the type of work that he's doing and that our customers are doing, you know, high-end work, but the bright colors and He's the Honda Civic with the wing on the back. (laughs) And you're the Aston Martin. Streamlined butterfly. No, I'm not the Aston Martin. I think I am the... VW bus? (laughs) The old Volkswagen truck that... People think is cool, but it's not cool at all. This is, that's them's fighting words. I love the the little rabbit trucks. There's a small niche of people who love it. Yeah, the little ute trucks. I'm and all about them. We are all mentally ill. Well, that's my illness then, because I love <laughs> it. They're sick. They are sick. Um. But, so, I mean, do you feel the same way when you tell people? When people ask what I do. Yeah. People who are just like, you know, you you meet them at whatever meetup things you mm-hmm. do. I don't know what you do. Oh, I socialize. I get out. <laughs> you, you, uh, you, you know, kind of encroach on someone's space on the river. No. Okay. So, I, yeah, we're not socializing when we're fishing. But listen, <laughs> the other day I had a conversation with an old buddy of mine, an old acquaintance, and he's like, hey, man, what are you up to? You know, I'm I'm selling solar systems in mm-hmm. Las Vegas mm-hmm. and just smoking it. Lots of sun in Vegas. Yeah. Making tons of money. Come out and work with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, you know, I've actually got a pretty good gig I like back back here. What do you do? Oh, I, uh, I'm an application engineer for a 3D printing operation. Mm-hmm. And... Instantly, the second you say it, you're just like, he probably thinks this is so dumb. Yeah. Yeah. And the the first thing he says back is like, well, how much do you make? Like, what do you, <laughs> what do you? He must be a good friend. How how much do these printers sell for? Okay. You know, so he's instant- Those are two different questions. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, let's, for the sake of this topic, say it was the second one. Okay. <laughs> 
you you have to legitimize your product by kind of saying this is what they go for. I mean, we have a product in our product line now that's over a million dollars. Yeah. Almost so, almost two million dollars. Yeah. And they range, you know. Which there's nothing wrong with being on the other end of the spectrum. No, absolutely not. I'm just saying uh, from one sales professional to someone who's sales adjacent like we are, um, they're, you know they're thinking commissions. Yeah. You know, percentages. So yeah. even a large percentage of a desktop printer is small potatoes in comparison to a, a larger machine, right? So you feel like you have to say like, no, these are these are bigger printers. These are uh, more industrial purposed printers. Uh, and then you further legitimize it by saying who uses them. Right. Familiar companies. Yeah. I... It's a process. I, I do try to steer people away from this visual of me getting ready for work and I've got, I'm wearing just primary colors, you know, Superman colors. Putting on your red nose. Uh-huh. And, and your rainbow colored and a wig. t-shirt. Yeah. What about this? So, you know, you have a technical background and people really don't know what applications engineer is. Mm-hmm. People usually assume, oh, you guys design and build the printers. Do you get that? <sighs> Uh, yeah, I get that. Also application engineer, people tend to think like, oh dude, you develop apps. Oh yeah. You're an app developer. (laughs) So it's confusing. I did make an app for one of my projects. It was still out there. It was never on the the play store. Okay. (laughs) It was basically just like a remote control. Very basic, but hey. It's an app. There's probably so many it's of those. It's an app nonetheless. I bet a lot of these really simple apps make a lot of money too. You never know. You never know. So where were we going with that? Oh, I don't know. It's just food for thought. It is food for thought. I think the thing to think about is when when is 3D printing by the masses accepted as a legitimate producer of real parts, right? Like we talked about houses last week. That's a real, that, that brings real value, right? Like a dwelling. Um, when you're talking carbon fiber, impregnated parts, that brings real value to like a shop floor. You know what I'm saying? Like when people start to realize these aren't just things that you, they're not tchotchkes. Yeah. They're not things you're just setting on your desk. They're not just toys they're they're real tools to help you get real work done we're probably a long way from that for like the average person's impression of 3d printing it will have to be a legitimate manufacturing tool for many many years before people associate it with it being a manufacturing process before a toy making process i should ask my mom yeah Ask her. Once, it, I want to see what she thinks about it. And uh, it's also like we should probably work on having like a response, a well-thought-out response, especially because a mug is coming up. Well, maybe that's where we can talk to other peers and 
see what they do. That's true. Ask for uh, some advice. That's or just, the whole deal, right? Networking or, and yeah. So a mug. What is a mug? Additive Manufacturing Users Group Conference. All right. Yeah. And this got canceled last year or early. Technically postponed. Yeah. Po- but when it's postponed for a year. <laughs> yeah. When it, the, it got canceled. Yeah. When the annual conference is postponed for a year, I think it is safe to say it was canceled. Yeah. However, don't admit defeat. They didn't cancel it. They just postponed <laughs> it. Um I'm getting to go for the first time ever. I'm really excited. You guys have kind of talked it up to me mm-hmm. a little bit. That should be a fun trip for us. Uh, we'll try and bring back some valuable content, things we learned, um, hopefully to the to the pod. And yeah, for sure, for we'll sure, we will at least have a story or two to tell. Absolutely. All right. So let's get into my YouTube video. Okay. Can we? Yeah. This is actually relevant on topic about post-processing. So a popular method, and we'll talk about this method uh, a little bit more, (laughs) is vapor smoothing. And if you haven't heard about this, this is popular uh, with FDM. It can be used on other technologies as well, but it's most popular with FDM. And what material? Probably ABS is most popular. I doubt that because it's most popular really with like a hobbyist, mm-hmm. and most hobbyists are not printing in ABS. So I would guess... I'm going to Google this yeah, later, Google it. but what's your I mean, guess? People do, people do do it with ABS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. PLA? Oof. Will it work with PLA? I think I, it will. I'm sure it will. I can just imagine it just destroying PLA in like It will destroy anything. Minutes. Oh, for sure, but it's all about speed, right? So... To describe vapor smoothing, basically, you know, your FDM prints are coming out with a somewhat coarse finish or, uh, you know, the stepping. For those who want to have a somewhat hands-free, and this is not hands-free, but a somewhat hands-free when compared to sanding uh, for a way of smoothing. Also, the other thing it kind of does is it melts the layer lines into each other and creates kind of this a shell. Mm-hmm. So the bummer about it is it's, would you consider it c- subtractive? It's going to change your part dimensionally more depending on how much time you leave it in the tank. Yeah. At best, it will soften the features. Right, And by it, soften, <clears throat> he's not talking hardness. He's just talking yeah. rounding sharp edges. Yeah. So your thin features are going to be more affected. And this is acetone, by the way. The vapors are acetone vapors. Most people make homemade boxes. They throw some towels on the side or around it. They line it in an absorbent type material, and then Mm -hmm. they soak those with acetone and suspend the part in the box, right? I've seen it done a few different ways. Well, You you might heat up the acetone. Yeah, that's this video. Yeah. So if you want to find out, there's a lot of companies that we talk to, they're not willing to do this, which we don't necessarily suggest this. Obviously, acetone vapors are extremely flammable, dangerous. On Hackaday.com, in 2016, they posted uh, they, they post a fail of the week, and 
This was August 16th, 2016. The fail of the week was how not to smooth a 3D print. <laughs> and the first picture is this little Mario man. And you would never know that it was Mario based on just your first look. Anyway, I read the article. Uh, this guy <laughs> this guy is trying to accelerate the vapor smoothing process by heating it. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it on his stove mm-hmm. at home. Well, he has a security camera in his apartment <laughs> that just so happens to catch the whole incident on film. And this video is just absolute pure gold because I think any of us who are DIYers on some level have kind of like, we've all stretched our limits somewhere yeah. and we've been uncomfortable <clears throat> and we've done something we think is right and we've researched it on Google. Yeah. This guy does that. <laughs> but his pot just totally starts on fire. He has a blanket. He throws the blanket <laughs> over the pot. His girlfriend is there trying to help stop this thing. And it just stays on fire. She's running around the house manically. And there's a cat in the video that just goes darting across. Like the cat instinctively knows to get the heck out of there. Yeah. And it's just hilarious, man, to see this guy just throwing things on this fire. Eventually, he opens the window and just tosses the whole thing out the window. This video continues for another minute or so. But I was just, I was almost crying. <laughs> <laughs> because of seeing the, fl- oh, it's just, it's something you'd see in a movie. So if you're going to vapor smooth, be careful. Watch this yeah. video first. It'll crack you up, but it's also, it's a safety video. <laughs> yeah. I would suggest like trying to do it outside, especially that your first tri- attempt. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, don't put any 3D prints in any kitchen appliance that you plan to use food in. Just don't do that. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, don't. The other thing is, especially on your first try, don't try the accelerated method, which is <laughs> to heat the acetone. Like, be patient. Yeah. See how the process works. See if it actually is going to take a long time for yeah. you to get the result you want. And then make your tweaks from there incrementally. You know, at one point, Stratus has had a piece of equipment that would do this. Really? Mm-hmm. It was a high throughput uh, system. smoothing? Yeah. Does post-process have anything? Mm, No. They don't? No. You're sure? I am 5% sure. Okay. (laughs) No, I'm like 95%. I'm 99.9. So a lot of industrial companies, Stratus has probably found its (laughs) way out of it because of liability reasons, I'm assuming. Um, there, well, let's see. There were issues selling it into certain states mm-hmm. and uh, cities. And also, there just wasn't a lot of interest in it, to be honest. Really? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a hard process to control. It's not something that's easy to automate. Yeah. I think that post-processing tools that align with high production... Uh, have always struggled. Historically, they have struggled in the 3D printing world simply because not a lot of companies are doing high throughput of the same part, right? There are companies out there that are printing thousands upon thousands of parts per week, but normally they're all different parts. And it's hard to automate post-processing of distinctly different parts. Make sense? Yeah. But uh, we're also talking about 
these were products aimed towards FDM. And, uh, you know, there are other technologies emerging and growing in market share that are higher throughput. You know, binder jetting being one of those or multi-jet fusion being one of those. So post-processing equipment aimed or targeted towards um, finishing of those types of parts, you know, there's probably more interest in that. And, uh, and that's really for aesthetics, I would say. Vapor smoothing? Yeah. Mm. Post-processing where it's the post-processing step is fundamental to the technology. Like you need it, say support removal, uh, equipment, automated equipment for those types of processes have been more successful because right away, anyone who's using the technology is a potential user of that. Where if it's, if it's just for aesthetics, you have a, only a small subset of people who might be, you know, looking to pursue something like that. I mean, I could see people vapor smoothing for more than aesthetic. <clears throat> it's going to change the mechanical properties of the shell. Yeah. And, and it, it will, also could give you a full seal. Yeah. It water tightens it. Yeah. Tightens it. Yeah. But I would think that most people are using it for aesthetics. Yeah, that's probably true. So let's talk about, well, you brought up some good points. Uh, I have a couple questions that let's try to aim to answer. Okay. So why should you post-process your parts, first of all? Uh, second of all, who should do it and when to do it? And then we can probably get into the discussion that you kind of just brought up is like, well, when does it make sense to just change technologies, right? Yeah, yeah. So right. there's, there's going to be some overlap in, okay, well, post-processing a certain technology one way could give you some overlap maybe into the same functionality of a part fresh off the, the printer yeah, in another true. technology. That's true. So your first question is why post-process? Yeah. And uh, I would say that the simplest, most straightforward reason is you would look into post-processing if you're printing a part with a purpose and there is a post-processing step that enhances the part for that intended purpose. Okay. Is that a cop-out answer? No. Uh, I think it's actually just opened up more questions, though. So <laughs> okay. I, I think probably prior to um, actually getting into this, let's talk about – I've written down a few things. Um, feel free to fill in the gaps. But okay. uh, I'm going to read through just some – very popular post-processing techniques, and these will apply to multiple technologies, a lot of them. Some of them are specific to one technology, so we'll kind of talk about that so you have a background. A lot of people already know this or have heard about it at least. We'll talk about it a little more. So thermal treating okay, uh, also could be called annealing, right? Mm -hmm. 3D printing, uh, 3D printed annealing, sanding, gluing, painting, tumbling, Vapor smoothing. There are any other ones you can think of just right off? You're grinning. What is it? Oh, I don't know. You're putting me on the spot. Um, electroplating? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I was actually reading about this yesterday. Yeah. So cool. So cool. Um, epoxy or uh, resin infusion? Yeah. 
Can we just consider that gluing or painting? Well, you can do whatever you'd like. Yeah. I I don't know. The that's a that's a good one. And it's actually super useful. And an alternative to those who want to vapor smooth like an FDM part, epoxying can be one of the fastest ways to smooth something and seal yeah. something. What about strengthen? So like in yeah. filling a part, right? With a resin. Oh yeah, right. Like you've talked about the uh, the press break yeah. parts, the forms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sheet metal forms that are basically mm-hmm. a hollow FDM shell that you're filling with the backside with what? Epoxy? Oh, you can do different things. I've I've typically used like a filled urethane. All right. Epoxy is compression. E- Epoxy is more expensive. Filled urethanes are pretty cheap. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Little little uh, money tip for you all there mm-hmm. if you plan to do that. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the processes that you can thermally treat. Okay. Right? We can make some mechanical properties better. So you're just trying to improve the mechanical properties for an application. Or m- just material properties in general. Yeah. Because you can affect something like the heat deflection temperature. Right. So polyjet is one that we've had experience with. And what do we do in those scenarios? Are you tech, are you asking me the exact recipe? No. <laughs> no, no, no. Isn't it just a soak? It's a it's a heat soak. A heat soak, yeah. In the sodium hydroxide, right? Or is it just water? Or is it in the oven? Is it air? Air. Okay. Air. Yeah. Whereas in FDM, a lot of times annealing happens in a substrate like sand or salt or sodium hydroxide or sodium hydroxide well it's not a substrate right but you could you're talking about a sodium hydroxide solution right just leaving it in there you know Hmm. for a certain amount of time and in heat can anneal a thermoplastic yeah so why would you want to do this Polyjet, for example, there are injection molding companies who want to try and save money on a, 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 a lot of people send their mold making overseas. That creates huge lead times. Um, it's it's a difficult process. And if you have to make revisions, it's even more difficult, which nearly always you do, uh, especially when there's that communication barrier. So a lot of companies here in the United States want to buy a machine and they can thermal treat their polyjet uh, digital ABS parts, and they can actually get a run of 30 parts off of one of these molds. Obviously, their cycle times and everything are going to need to be adjusted. Highly variable. That number is highly variable. Sure. It could range from one One. to hundreds. Highly variable. I have heard of hundreds as well. Yeah, that depends on part geometry. and So in this situation, you have a technology that is fairly well suited to create smooth molds mm-hmm. and don't require post-processing as far as like the surface finish in many cases. Um, but the parts will succumb to heat and uh, eventually fail. 
So in an effort to increase the durability and really the toughness of the material, you can post-process that material and increase the longevity of it. Now, to your point, maybe there is another option that would do just as well or better in a different technology or a different material, et cetera. But sometimes you have the machine, you're, you're kind of locked into your options. How do we enhance the abilities of the materials? So that's a perfect example. Yeah, it is. Um, so thermal treating beyond that, we talked about annealing some FDM thermoplastics. I know nylons mm -hmm. um, can be annealed. I think ASA can be annealed pretty well, reasonably well. And mm -hmm. this is just going to give you more part strength, durability. So in end use yeah. parts, it's not yeah. going to look any different. It's not going to feel much different. However, it'll perform at a little better level. I don't think with FDM it increases your heat deflection temperature very much. I don't know. Not nearly as much as PolyJet. Anyways. Yeah. I can look into this more. I think that's true. Um, you are dealing with two fundamentally different types of polymers. Mm -hmm. uh, you're dealing with thermoplastic polymers and thermoset polymers. And so it does make sense that if you heat heat cured um, a thermoset material that it would increase in durability and strength. But a thermoplastic material wouldn't function the same way. So let's move on to the next one. Okay. We're going to run through this. Okay. One you're very familiar with. Oh, no. Sanding. Oh, God. <laughs> Kill me. Kill me. So those awards that we talked about a while ago with the floating beach uh, I teased Tyler about, they have kind of a, a more rough outer perimeter. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> he can't automate it. No. He tried to use the DA sander. Didn't work. He flattened out the round portions. Yeah. I put them up on my lathe. That just created a huge mess. <laughs> They are discs. You would think that his it would... His fingertips were literally bloody. Like, <laughs> he wore the fingerprints off his fingers. And only, I've only done, like, two-thirds of what I need to do. <laughs> yeah, so that was sanding in an effort to... And those were polyjet parts. Those were polyjet parts. They were printed in Vero Ultra Clear, the most clear printable material that I'm aware of. And uh, they were, like, you know, aquarium-type settings and we were trying to see into the material and when light hits a clear material it will either pass through or it will bounce and scatter and that's the difference between opaque and then different levels of transparency so the goal is to smooth the surface as much as possible to allow light to pass through and uh, this is where after Mm, a solid decade of like heavy DIY experience, I've finally come to realize that all of these different grits in sandpaper exist for a reason and you really should use every single grit. You should not skip. Use every single grit. Oh yeah. He was starting, what grit were you starting with? 60. Which is like common with wood. Yeah. Like very coarse. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And what did you finish with? Prior one thousand. One thousand. Yeah. And then we took it to the polisher from there. After one thousand, we hit it with a clear coat, 
And then we polished the clear coat. No, we polished before clear. No. Yeah, we did. No. Oh, Tyler's forgetting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <sighs> yes. Say You're it right. with me. You are right. Yes. <laughs> All right. But we did polish but both before and after. Yeah. Yeah. You can you could definitely polish the clear coat after. So that clear coat just helps fill in any little micro gap. Does a really great job. And in fact, if you are clear coating, you probably don't even have to go up to a thousand unless you really are trying to see through the part. Yeah. And so this if these weren't clear parts, Tyler wouldn't have had to have done near as much work. If it was just about getting a smooth surface, uh, he wouldn't have had to hit it with 60. Um, if, if he was just going to paint these, for example, afterwards, uh, which is not super common with polyjet, but, yeah. uh, he could have easily just hit it with a, a high fill primer. I could. Yeah. Giving it a knockdown and a quick shot of paint. And that thing would have been super smooth. Yeah, probably. Um, you know, if we were just painting it, maybe I would rough it up with like a 120 and just try to even out. And even if I wasn't going to paint it, if I just wanted to clean up the surface really well, I'd probably go up to like 220 or whatever the number is. The clear is just a whole nother beast. Yeah, totally different. So with, you know, SLA, basically any resin-based... Oh, man. So um, my very first experience, hands-on experience with 3D prints was uh, these prototypes that we had printed when I was at uh, BD Medical. Mm -hmm. And they were SLA parts. And we did have to paint them. They were a white resin of some sort and complicated. They were prototypes for an injection molded part and a housing with two halves. Very complicated. And we... In a bunch of in or con, convex curves? Both. both. Oh. And, uh, and interiors and bosses and ribs and things like that. And we were having to hand sand all these. Oh, my God. It was terrible. I hate sanding. Now, those ones should have been tumbled. Those ones should have been tumbled because we really needed to evenly smooth out all of the surfaces. Tumbling is great for that. Sanding is like more precise. It's a little bit more, it gives you more control. It's a little bit more surgical. It doesn't have to be global. Although now, now I'm just rambling. You could print um, masks for parts and then tumble them. Yep. What does the mask do? It blocks the surface. So that it's not getting hit with any of the abrasives. Yeah. So imagine like you were going to print a stencil or sorry, you were going to paint a stencil so you cut out a stencil, you put it on the table, you hit it with spray paint, you pick it up, you've created a mask, mm -hmm. right? It's basically a negative mask, but you've created a mask and we can do 3D masks with our prints. I've done that. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. Don't lie. I have done that. I'm just kidding. So <laughs> tumbling is very popular with metals and production parts. Mm -hmm. It removes, it's just basically <clears throat> the best deburr tool there is. In my opinion, it's, yeah. it's like the one that's, it's safe. You can vary the abrasives. You uh -huh. can vary the time the yeah. and the, the velocity. A lot of options. It's so great. And the, the parts look fantastic. Both the, polyjet, yeah. metal, 
and FDM parts. Another option would have been uh, abrasive blasting, sandblasting it or bead blasting it. Also, great uh, option. You have to have line of sight, which you don't necessarily need with tumbling. Yeah. But with tumbling, you have... You can't you know, direct. Your stones or whatever your media is has a certain size and you mm -hmm. have to size it to the features of your parts. All of these will have advantages and disadvantages. Right. Yeah. With tumbling, you can't direct any attention to a specific part. Right. All the, the furthest outreaching parts are going to get hit the hardest with tumbling. Yeah. The easier it is to reach, the more times an abrasive is going to run across it. Yeah. And it will also soften your part features as well, just like we were talking about with the vapor smoothing. Be careful when you say soften. Uh, I that's, that's the word I choose. What would you call it? It does soften it from a feel perspective or an appearance perspective, but... It's just... You're thinking in terms of like camera work. Well, when you soften kind of. a photo, yeah, I, I'm just trying to make sure we're well, clear how here. How would you describe it then? What does it do to your features? Deburrs. Mm. It's going to round all the sharp edges. Yeah, it rounds them. It softens those sharp edges. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So sanding is obviously a great method for pretty much every... It's a great post-processing method for every... Yeah. Technology it's, out there. Um, it's an option. Yeah, it's an option, and it's approachable. It's cheap. You can go buy 3M. It's not cheap when it comes to labor, though. That's true. And your fingers and perhaps, know that. Yeah, perhaps uh, long-term medical disability. <laughs> so sanding is probably the one that people – it's probably the most common. It's the most accessible, and people want to get rid of it. If they can. Yeah. That's why tumbling is usually a good option for those who have been hand sanding. Uh, the next one is glue, gluing okay. as a post process. So say you have a component that didn't fit on your build tray. You needed to print it in two, three, four parts. Mm -hmm. Glue. <clears throat> mm -hmm. uh, that's, I know that sounds probably silly to talk about as a post process, but can we glue pretty much everything we make? Um, yeah. Are we, do we include welding in this? Like plastic welding? Plastic or metal welding. Because um, we're going to be printing metal. And, uh, that's a good we, point. we have an aluminum print in the lab that has been welded together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I suppose so. Yeah, we'll have to. So include it. <laughs> Polyjet resins, SLA resins, I think they all do pretty well with uh, standard super duper glue. Yeah, which is, a cyanoacrylate. Yes, thank you. I knew you'd know it. <laughs> um, obviously, that works well for FDM also. I personally like epoxies when mm -hmm. it comes to FDM. Uh, how do Polyjet and SLA resins do with, with uh, epoxies? Um, I don't know about SLA. I have maybe epoxied a couple polyjet parts, but, um, you get better chemical reaction and chemical adhesion with just standard super glue on a polyjet. Probably any photopolymer would be my guess. And how do you say that again? Cyano Cyanoacrylate. <laughs> yeah. Just go get super glue. Yeah. 
Or uh, the other option with FDM is some sort of solvent-based adhesive. I'm not a fan of this. You're not? No. Not at all. Why I don't not? like things that 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 change or potentially change things dimensionally so much so that you're toast if it well. doesn't go wrong. It's <clears throat> taking control out of your hands. Yeah. But that's also my lack of experience. That's kind of why I don't like vapor smoothing as well. Yeah. Lack of experience. If I have a certain part that I know I can put in there for 30 minutes and it's perfect, I'm more comfortable with it. But if every time I go to check it, it's different. Right. Eh. The good thing about the solvent-based adhesives are that they're simpler to use than a two-part epoxy and they're thinner than a two-part epoxy. Think about it. Have you ever glued together ABS <laughs> sprinkler pipe? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the type of adhesive I'm talking about. Yeah. I also use this stuff called Mend It Fishing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you throw swim baits a lot, um, they're basically big rubber fish. Yeah. And every once in a while, a tail will split, a fin will split whatever. Yeah. And in order to maximize your return on your swim bait investment, mm-hmm. you mend it. And this stuff's pretty Got cool. It. You you paint it on both surfaces with kind of like a nail polish thing, stick it together, and it's a chemical adhesion process, so it makes it one part yeah. again. Yeah. Which, it's cool. It's useful. There is something that I've used in the past for ABS and ASA prints, anything that is going to react to a solvent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it comes in a little glass vial. It's probably mend it. It has a it, the lid has a little brush on it, mm-hmm. and you pop it out. It's almost like a nail polish. It's what I just said. Yeah, it's mend it. It I. It's probably mend. It's just that relabeled for the fishing industry. Yeah, probably. It's worked really well for strengthening uh, small features. So I'm not really gluing anything. Um, like think about on the race car, you have those control arms and the control arms rotate around these little pins. Mm -hmm. The bosses, I keep hitting the microphone. (laughs) The bosses around those pins were very small and a point of failure. So I would just coat those heavily in this stuff. I guess it's called mend it. (laughs) It worked. It was, it strengthened the parts enough that they weren't breaking all the time. When he talks about the race car, he's talking about his 3D printed Traxxas Slash. Yeah. The RC. Um, so the next one, painting. Okay. Painting is essentially a combination of you've got to do some sort of smoothing or mm-hmm. roughing up of mm-hmm. the surface uh, depending on what material you print it in. But pretty much all these handle paint pretty well. I tend to prefer uh, hitting with a uh, high build primer. Just an automotive primer, something you could pick up at the old car parts store mm-hmm. and high build it, especially with FDM components, because it's gonna it's gonna reduce your sanding time yeah. significantly yeah. if you don't have to sand the more dense thermoplastic versus a sandable primer, which is meant to be knocked down. Right. Uh, I, I prefer that. That's a good tip. Plus, you don't change the part dimensionally. Uh, at all you it's very easy you know say i printed it in in gray 
I go get a black primer or I print it in black and get a gray primer. I have contrast. So I know on that first layer when I'm knocking it down oh, too far. I've never so I have done a, that. I have a visual guide coat that's telling me, okay, now you've filled in all the low spots, hit it with another coat of primer, and then um, and then you can you can wet sand if you want or just hit it with paint. But then you're going to reduce those visible lines, those layer lines, so much faster. Yeah, you created those speaker stands that look amazing. That was actually it's, a lot of work. It, I mean, it is a lot of work. It's essentially body work for a part of that size. Uh, it's essentially body work. Yeah, so uh, speaking of body work, your standard body work, resins, coatings, putty, that sort of stuff, putty. Bondo. Works really well, yeah. Spackle or what yeah. do they call it? The glazing putty. Mm-hmm. On this particular part that Tyler's talking about, I used uh, I used standard Bondo, I think, or yeah. not even the Bondo brand. <clears throat> excuse me, not even the Bondo brand. Just something. It was actually really cool stuff. Uh, it came in liquid form. Really? Yeah. It wasn't like the the kind that you scoop out with the putty knife and yeah. slop it on there. You actually squirt this this one out. Add your hardener mix it huh. and you're good to go but I really liked it because it was a little more uh, less viscous so it was easier to spread um, thin coats yeah and so yeah uh, with FDM if you have relatively smooth geometry think body panels yeah things like that a glazing putty can be really really effective probably even more so than the the high the high fill primer. The thing about the primer is when you spray it on, it adds layer thickness almost uniformly from the low spots and high spots. So you get more, it will fill in the low spots if you spray it on thick, which is what you want. But with the glazing putty, you're literally using a, you know, a scraper or Mm -hmm. a, a butter knife, for example. I mean, you're running that thing across. So it's, as you apply it, it's forced into the low spots yeah. a lot better. Yeah. And so you may have less sanding and primer work to do. Uh, don't be heavy with that because you'll create more work for yourself. And this is what we've been talking yeah. about the whole time. It's yeah. like this is something people don't want to talk about because getting a part off the printer is relatively quick and mm-hmm. easy. Mm-hmm. The stuff afterwards you want to take that into, into account per application. For your application, for sure. Many times you it's more than fine to just use the part as is after you remove any support material. But in other cases, in order to deliver the best part for the given application, you may need to consider some post-processing. Yeah. We had a toy company that was using FDM mm-hmm. and they were like hand painting and doing all this stuff. We attempted to get them to switch over to PolyJet yeah, to reduce, because they were just spending hundreds and hundreds of man hours in post-process. Yeah. They just weren't ready to do it. That's the rare, rare cases, I feel yeah. like, but most you, people like that are ready to make a swap. Yeah, you have if to it's a designer. put a time on your, you know, time value on your time and uh, consider that. And, you know, if... You are evaluating a technology. If you're at that stage, you haven't already invested in a technology, then consider which technology is going to have 
the overall least cost of ownership for a given application. Yeah. Meaning if you can get away with spending 20K on a printer, knowing that you're going to have to do some sanding and hand painting, like say figurines and stuff like that, versus 80K on a color printer or whatever, um, that 80K color printer might actually be the better investment. Right. And so that kind of gets us into our, our second question. Who should who should be post-processing? So we've kind of talked about almost everything. We'll get into electroplating in a second. <laughs> but we've talked about the popular post-processing methods. Yeah. Who should be doing it? I feel like it's anybody that's uh, trying to maximize Maybe they only have one machine or one technology type in-house. Anyone who's trying to maximize the application of that 3D yeah. printer. Right. You can take it to the next level with the correct post-processing method. And also consider, you know, is there a path forward with better hardware? And if there's not, then consider post-processing. Right. Or if better hardware, meaning just a different technology, perhaps, a different machine, or perhaps a, uh, you know, an improved or upgraded version of your existing technology. Take Polyjet. You have a desktop Polyjet that can print in grayscale versus a Polyjet that can print in full color. You might consider the full color system if you're painting your parts, but you would want to look at the color and see, okay, is it accurate enough? Does it have the right fidelity, the graininess of it? If it's good enough, if it meets your requirements, then, okay, that could be an option. If it isn't, then, okay, I've just investigate the hardware options first and evaluate the cost of those and then go to post-processing. That's my recommendation. Okay. Another, something I'd recommend is if you are post-processing to try and maximize the capability of your technology. You know, <clears throat> for example, maybe you're doing this for work, maybe you're doing it for fun, but you're trying to justify the cost of maybe adding a machine to your fleet or maybe just switching technologies altogether. Keeping track of your post-processing hours yeah. and materials, time and materials, is a great way to begin the justification process for a different technology. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that also applies to support removal as well, because we probably won't talk about it too much, but there are vastly different levels of support material removal equipment. <laughs> it's a mouthful. And, uh, you know, on the extreme end, say F on an FDM, on the extreme ends, you have pliers and snippers, snips, snippers. Which do you say? Nippers. Nippers. <laughs> and then on the other end, you have, you know, a high-end ultrasonic heated tank. And uh, one is very hands-on, laborious. No, we even have one end further. What's that? Post-process, the company post-process. Uh -huh. uh -huh. So they've got automated machines that can deliver. Yeah, true. Programmable water jetting. Fully right. automated. Fully automated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have two extreme ends. They have different cost profiles. And uh, for some users, and it, the occasional printer, especially someone at home, just nip, nip them away. 
if you're a power user and you have high throughput and you're pumping tens of parts a day or more, then you probably want the other end of the spectrum. And there are equivalent uh, cases for pretty much every technology, polyjet, SLA, multi-jet fusion, all of it. So SAF. <laughs> yeah. So when, um, I guess we've kind of answered this all along the entire podcast, but when do you post-process? And that's pretty, I don't know if that's self-explanatory, but it's it's best to do it when the application calls for it. So yeah. it really comes down to what are you trying to get out of your 3D print? What technology do you have? Explore the options for post-processing. We've talked about some of the popular ones. We may have missed a couple. Of, oh, I'm sure we did. If anything's if worked really, really well for you and you're listening to this podcast, tell us about the technology you're using and tell us about your methodology. Shoot us yeah. an email because we want to learn here and we also want to help kind of distribute that information if we can on this mm -hmm. platform. Mm -hmm. So I think... Well, to cap things off, let's talk about electroplating and then let's probably wrap it up. Okay. I've done two different methods of electroplating. And so you've actually of, done this? Yeah. DIY style. One, one method was not for printed parts, but I've done it. So it's kind of interesting. And then also related is something called oh, vacuum, vacuum metallizing, which is a little bit different. Also very cool. So... What were we talking about? Electroplating. <laughs> Electroplating. You were going to talk about your helmet. Um, well, the I've, dead mouse thing. I never. That was pretty cool. I never electroplated on. Oh, that's You're, flocking. That's called flocking. And that is actually pretty cool. Could you do it with a 3D printed part? Oh, absolutely. If you want a fuzzy part, yeah, you could. Like a, a velvet type finish? Like a velvet finish. Everyone knows this. Like your grandma, your grandma's uh, old figurines, when you pick them up and you look at the bottom side, that velvet finish, that's usually flocked. Okay. So actually, I'll talk about this first. All right. There is like an industrial way to flock parts that includes like electrostatically um, charging little microfibers and your part and shooting those fibers at your part so that they stick. The DIY version basically uses something like a thick enamel. So you paint, you spray your part with a thick enamel and then you take two cardboard tubes, one that fits inside the other and has holes drilled into this, the side and you take your flock, your flocking, you put it in your tubes and you just push the tubes together to push air and you're basically shooting those fibers into the paint and they embed and uh, you get a velvety part. It's very cool. So if you wanted to do that, you could do it. Now you know. Now you know. Flocking. Electroplating. Uh, when I first did electroplating, it was to smooth out some stainless steel bands. And uh, this was an industrial thing, but it, I learned how it's done and it's very cool. It involves heat and acid and electricity, um, all coming together to uh, smooth out 
parts. Uh, I have tried it on 3D printed parts. I have not successfully done it on a 3D printed part. And the biggest challenge there is the parts have to be conductive. So I have purchased like a copper spray paint and coated parts that gives it a conductive skin, um, but it didn't work very well. Now there is a company called Repliform that specializes in electroplating, 3D printed parts. And uh, that's who I always just, I push people towards. The electroplating does a couple things. It, uh, it gives like a nice hardware surface. It can strengthen parts that are like very thin walled and fragile. So say like you took a polyjet part and you uh, had some sort of thin walled shell or lattice structure, you could potentially electroplate that part and give it a bit more strength. It's not going to significantly uh, alter it, but it would give it more strength without adding a whole lot of weight. Looks like ABS is the popular plastic. Yeah, polyjet is more difficult. Um, I think Repliform is much more comfortable doing FDM, any thermoplastic material, and probably SLS, I would guess. And we're familiar with electroplated parts. We probably use them every day. I, I think automotive, you know, like your chrome yeah. handles on yeah. your door, uh, gear shifters, buttons it, inside the, the interior. There's a good chance that any plastic part that has a chrome finish is either electroplated or vacuum metalized. Vacuum metalizing, I've never, I've never tried. You have to have Which special is equipment. an extremely hard surface. Right, yeah. so you you would create basically a lifelong type part. Yeah, as long as it's not overly stressed. But in terms of finish, and it would look great too. Yeah. How often do you think people do that? Oh, very rarely. <laughs> it's really cool, though. It is cool, but very rarely. Uh, it it's just one of the few ways that you can get an actual nice chrome finish on a plastic part. Any sort of spray paint doesn't really work in my experience. There's a company called Coat and Chrome that has some sort of two-part paint that's specialized that does seem to work. And then vacuum metalizing. Well, tell us about vacuum metalizing. I don't know enough of it off the top of my head. Um, I think it would be kind of similar to the flocking except instead of fibers, you're just shooting. Uh, <laughs> so no know. one's ever going to do this. No, people might do it. People might do it, but you're going to send it out. You're not going to do it yourself. There's no Was DIY that? method for it. No, and I don't care. Yeah. There's no DIY method for it. As I'm far as kidding. I'm aware. Well, that pretty much covers most of the popular things that we tend to do. Yeah. Post-processing for metals is like an entirely different topic. Yeah. And I mean, there are, there's a full industry of a, a lot of the same things. They're just heavier, coarser, tougher processes for true, metal. True. True. But you also get into just more standard manufacturing methods. Right. Machining, mm -hmm. wire EDM, uh, hipping, 
which is not very well known. What about potting mm. on thermoplastics? This is a new one. Yeah. I mean, would you call that post, uh, post-processing? I think of that as like resin infusion. Are you talking about something else? Well, we had a little meeting with the, a sailing team that potted their 3D printed parts. Okay. What that entailed, I don't really know. I just remember uh, them talking about potting, a process that I'm not really familiar with. It's basically coating in an epoxy. So it's a sealer. Yeah. So their applications were saltwater applications, which by the way, just on a side note, they primarily use nylon CF-12, which you would think nylon being mm-hmm. one of the most absorbent uh, materials mm-hmm. would fail. <clears throat> Excuse me. They did great. And they did a lot of moving components as well as stationary on their sailboat. Yeah. So wanted to pass that along. So huh. it's going to depend very by application, but these these engineers and pilots probably is what we should call them, are the pickiest of picky and did well with nylon 12 CF hmm. and ASA. It's good to know. In their applications. And they rarely sealed or coated, potted. Hmm. They rarely did any hmm. of that. Most of the parts were fresh off the printer. They did consider watershedding quite a bit. but Hey, we should experiment a little bit more with the resin infusion. We should use our vacuum pot and uh, experiment with that. With just an FDM part? Yeah. I'd be down. And when it comes down to it, once we get some SAF parts. I'm I'm so excited to get these new technologies. I've been saying this for, for months, but it's getting closer. It's getting closer. The end is near, and I am super pumped. Stratasys has manufacturing week coming up. They're going to talk about three new machines? Or new technologies, products, 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 yeah. Okay. Well, Manufacturing week. That's at the end of this month, right? Yeah. What is just it, the 27th or the 28th? 28th, I think. Yeah. Uh, they may have advertised it for both days. They've they've been they a little flexible. They said manufacturing flexible. week. I want seven days of content. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, be on the lookout for that. Find them on Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, and on a bright note, I do want to just end on... A little story, okay. 3D printing story. All right. SolidWorks blog, uh, power sports athlete inspires amputees to stay in the game. This guy, uh, Mike Schultz, he lost his leg in a power sports accident. And he went 3D printed and machined his own uh, his own leg. Wow. Essentially. Wow. And meddled. In the X Games. That's awesome. Like short, like within the year that he lost his leg. Dang. Anyway. That's impressive. Look that up. That's on the SolidWorks blog. It was posted in December 2020, but I just had that up. I had to share. Very cool. Very doesn't, cool. Doesn't really relate, but it's a nice story. It is a nice story. I like success stories. Well, did we cover it all today? We covered enough. Take care. That's it? <laughs> that was really bad, wasn't it? <laughs> No. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Go look at our our blog page, the website. Just try to get up to date. There's a lot of stuff going on in the 3D printing world, specifically with Stratasys right now. And if you're going to be at AMUG, hit us up. We'd like to meet up. Yeah. Yeah. 
fellow 3D printing nerds. Yep. See you then. All right, take care.